Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass." So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H E L P. Welcome to the Fighting on Film podcast, the podcast all about classic and obscure war movies. From the Normandy landings to the days of chivalry and swords, if it's been captured on film, we're going to try and cover it. I'm Robbie of RM Military History. I'm Matthew Moss of Historical Firearms and the Armourer's Bench. Hello, welcome back to Fighting on Film. Now this week, ahead of Ridley Scott's Napoleon, which is uh, released later this month, we are heading back to the very start of his directorial debut with 1977's The Duelists. Yes, with Napoleon coming up soon, we thought, what else can we do out of all of the Napoleonic war films that are out there? And then it occurred to us, of course, Ridley Scott's debut. It's napoleonic epic of vignettes and yeah it's it's the perfect way to prime ourselves ready for napoleon at the end of the month i always really enjoyed the film so i'm looking oh, i know yeah. this is the first you hadn't seen, seen it so no. i was looking for i'm looking forward to hearing what you think about it um because it's an interesting way of making a film about this period um yes. because it shows very little of the period but it really nails the mise-en-scene of all the little vignettes it, it actually creates. Yeah, it feels quite real, doesn't it? It feels yeah. quite true in 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 its own interesting way. Maybe you should do cast this week, and then uh, I'll do some production. So the film's led by the, the eponymous duelists. Uh, Keith Carradine plays uh, Armand Dubert, who is a uh, hussar lieutenant. Um, he's one of the, the Carradine family. Uh, known for Emperor of the North, Nashville in 1975, Welcome to LA in 76. He was um, Wild Bill Hick Hickok in a uh, 1995 Western biopic. Uh, he was also in lots of TV, including uh, Deadwood and Dexter. And then our other lead is Harvey Keitel, who plays uh, Gabriel Ferreau. And he's had an incredible career, uh, including Taxi Driver, Welcome to LA as well. 
Wise Guys, Dear Gorbachev, Thelma and Louise, Bad Lieutenant, Reservoir Dogs, um, From Dusk Till Dawn, Pulp Fiction, U571, which we've covered on the show, yep. um, The Grey Zone, uh, the National Treasure movies, Inglorious Bastards, uh, Moonrise Kingdom. He's even done a few um, Wes Anderson movies, uh, Grand Budapest and um, Isle of Dogs. And uh, recently he was also in The Irishman. So and he's he had an incredibly very great. He was in the direct uh, as as um, as Winston as his character from <laughs> yeah. Pulp Fiction, wasn't he it? Was. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then a, a, another notable name that is only in it for one scene is Albert Finney, who plays yeah. uh, Joseph uh, Foch, who is the um, Minister of Police um, for the restored uh, monarchy, and he has a single scene, and he was uh, apparently paid with um, a case of champagne. Yeah. Um, for that one scene. <laughs> Rada Grad, four-time Oscar nom, um, played Churchill in The Gathering Storm in 2002. That HBO series. That was a that was good a, one, I think. That was the good yeah. one. Yeah, It was the, the Brian one. Cox one that wasn't very good. Yes, oh, I get yeah, confused yeah. sometimes. Yeah, yeah. It was that glut of early 2000s, 2000s... Churchill um, things. Churchill yeah. like biopics. Then we've got Edward Fox, who plays uh, a Bonapartist colonel who kind of tries to recruit uh, Dubert uh, when Napoleon returns from exile uh, during the Hundred Days campaign. And he was um, in Oh, What a Lovely War, Battle of Britain, Day of the Jackal, uh, A Bridge Too Far, of course, uh, Soldier Keep of Orange. tanks on the move. The move. Um, Force 10 from Navarone in 1978, um, The Bounty, Wild Geese 2, uh, Return from uh, the River Kwai, River Kwai Harder, that's not what it's called, surely. And then we have Tom Conti as uh, an army surgeon who's at the beginning of the film, who plays uh, De Bear's friend. He was in The Fall of Eagles in 1974. Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence in 83. Uh, and he m- most recently played Albert Einstein in Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer. Um, and one thing I really like about his character is he plays the flute and it becomes like a diegetic soundtrack. And that yeah. motif gets repeated so throughout good. the film. Yeah, it's a really yeah. beautiful little piece as well. Uh, then we've got Christina Rains as Adele, who's later um, Dubert's wife. She was also in Nashville with with Carrie Dine um, and, and tons of film and TV. They were going out at we the time, have... weren't they? That's why she's in it. Is that right? I didn't, yeah. find, I didn't, I didn't the, read that. They were boyfriend and girlfriend at the time. So apparently that's why she's in the film. Casting is so much easier when, you, when you're going I out. I know, right? Right. Um, then we've got Alan Armstrong, who plays um, Dubert's uh, second for the first drill, um, Jewel, his his friend. He was in Get Carter in 71, A Bridge Too Far, of course. With um, a bloody take... ammo dump. That's two. Yeah. That's two Bridge Too Far quotes this week. Then we've got uh, Patriot Games, 1992, uh, Braveheart, 1995. And of course, he was in lots of TV. Um, new tricks. Including new tricks. I which... love it. <laughs> yeah. Um, Meg Wynn Owen is Leone, who's uh, Dubert's sister. Again, lots of TV and film. Alan Webb as uh, Adele, uh, Dubert's um, uncle, uh, mm-hmm. wife's uncle. Um, he was in The Cruel Sea as uh, Admiral Maury Forbes. Wow. Uh, as an uncredited role. Uh, he was also in The Silent Enemy in 1958, and he was in The Falstaff uh, in 1965. Uh, we have a couple of other... Um, early career actors that went on to be quite recognizable UK character actors, including people like Hugh Frazier, um, who 
plays one of the officers in the background. He was in Firefox in 1982. He was um, Wellington in Sharp uh, throughout most of the 90s. He was also in the Lost Battalion as a French general. And he was also um, uh, Captain Hastings in all the, the ITV Poirot adaptations oh, okay. as well. Wow. Pete Postlethwaite as an orderly for, I think, Teleran. No, uh, wait, was when was he? I didn't even notice that. Yeah, when he's he literally in? in the background, stood oh behind um, uh, Teleran. And he, I think he says one line in the whole thing. Wow. Um, but, you know, he was in Tumbledown. He was in Sharp as well. He was in Alien 3, Last of the Mohicans. Um, so, and obviously, they're just things that are loosely associated with the, yeah, the exactly. genre we cover. Yeah. Not to mention, like, all of these people have things done, like that. You know? Exactly. All these people have done so much more. Um, Liz Smith, perhaps best known um, for being Nana in the Royal Family. Nana. She was also in Vicar Dibley. <laughs> but again, she's one of those actors that has had a massive TV and film career. She was a Wren during World War II, and she plays a tarot card reader um, mm. in the film, and she kind of warns off um, Dubert's mistress. And uh, in a nice little scene where she lays down like the upturned swords and she says beware of the you know yeah. um essentially duelists the duelists, uh, and then, the duelists. <laughs> <laughs> then we have uh stacy keach as the narrator uh and finally uh william um morgan or, or w morgan shepherd uh appears as the offensive master who has one line where he he's training uh caradine's character um it, you know just tweaking his his skills um, and probably our generation know him best as the uh, the narrator of the Medal of Honor games. Yes, um, how cool is that? Um, Kennel Hargrove, I think. I think the character's name is in the games, but he was also in uh, Gettysburg and, and Gods and Generals. He was in The Death He Does in the Next Mission, of course, um, and, and you know a range of other things. And that kind of rounds out this week's cast. Lots of um, people that were you know became recognizable. Mm. Two great leads, solid cast. I think. No, it re- it really is. It's one of the things the movie's got going for it, and the I think the casting choices might become apparent when we do production. But you know, uh, uh, they only get Kaitel because he's been released from Apocalypse Now. Um, he was replaced by Sheen, so you know he's knocking about and he's available. So it's it's like a sort of everything falls into place for this one. Um, yeah. You know, I always wonder what an Apocalypse Now with Kaitel would have been like. Yeah, um, just out of interest. I know there's there's those um, rushes they did, and I think there's a few screen. Sheen's great. Oh, well, Sheen's brilliant. That would I have think been really interesting. Kaitel's got this toughness to him that I, I wonder what would have bought that role. That Sheen didn't quite have that toughness. No, in a different way. Yeah, a lot to talk about when we finally get round to Apocalypse Now. That's for sure. <laughs> Crikey, when the hell are we going to do that? <laughs> <laughs> quick, quick, Matt. We're talking about popular movies. Quick, quick. Segue into production. <laughs> <laughs> Hello there, sorry to interrupt. I wanted to let you know that you can now join our supporting cast over on Patreon. As thanks for your support, you'll be able to help us pick films, submit questions for guests, have first pick on brand new and exclusive merch, and much more. Thank you for your support. Now back to the show. Directed by the aforementioned Ridley Scott, who cut his teeth in TV advertising in the UK, um, probably most notable for his 1973 Hovis advert bike round which is the one where the lad's pushing a bike up a, oh, a famous street. Yeah. Um, and he was, it was voted the UK's most popular advert in 2006. 
Oh um, god, on one of those awful t- it was, 2000s one of those Channel Four like top one hundred. You put it on for like six hours, and you'd yeah. be sat there watching it and being like, "Why am I watching this?" And it'd just be like you know, pro- professional rememberers going like, "Oh, I remember this. It was right. Good. Oh like, yes, the talking heads. Yeah, talking heads. I um, just bought a Ford Allegra at the time. <laughs> <laughs> that's not even that's thought. not even the right name of the car. Right? I'll have some bread. No, <laughs> Riley's yeah. Ridley? Riley's who's Riley? <laughs> Sorry. Scott's credits, of course, include Alien, Blade Runner, Thelma and Louise, G.I. Jane, Gladiator, Black Hawk Down, The Last Jewel, and of course, the upcoming Napoleonic Napoleon biopic called Napoleon on Apple TV. Um, you know, the guy is probably one of the greatest British directors of his generation. You know, he just he's done oh, so many. Yeah. Huge movies, love him or hate him. Um, the film was produced by Dave Putnam, who uh, listeners might remember he produced Memphis Bell. Um, he also produced Chariots of Fire and The Killing Fields, among others. And the movie itself is based on a 1908 short story by Joseph Conrad, another Apocalypse Now reference here, who yeah. wrote Hearts of Darkness, of course, the book that is Apocalypse Now is based off of. Kaitel was like, if I'm not going to do one, I'm going to do the other. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, must have been weird going from being in one comrade adaptation to go to being in a more straight comrade adaptation. I must yeah. have been quite in, maybe that's why he took it. Um, I couldn't find anything solid on that. No. Um, but the story itself first appeared in the Pal Mal magazine. Um, and it was chosen by Scott as it was a public domain piece because at the time Scott's a relatively unknown director in terms mm. of features, at least. Um, and uh, it had a screenplay that had already been written by Gerald Vaughan Hughes, um, which is his biggest writing credit. Uh, he worked on TV dramas in the 70s, like um, Play for Today, ITV Playhouse, things like that. And, you know, so, you know, consummate drama uh, writer. Um, and Scott purchased the scripts and approached Paramount Pictures to make the movie. And eventually he got them to agree to, now I can't find an actual figure. Some places say this one, some places say that one. So it's from $900,000 to $1.5 million, but it's still an absolute micro budget. Um, yeah. In terms of even the feature. For the, even for the late 70s, that's minuscule. Yeah. So he was, and he was, uh, Ridley was given quite free reign, apparently, in terms of, you know, set design, things like that, cinematographer, his staff. Yeah. You know, he, he was given quite, quite a lot of free reign. Um, but he was given a list of, um, actors that he could choose from. So getting Kaitel and Carradine were, it wasn't necessarily his choices, but, you know, they were from a list. Um, and there's no box office take, but we can assume this one's gone on to be successful because of the career Scott's had. And the fact that it won awards. Um, so it was the winner of two 1977 Cannes Film Award um, awards, one for uh, Best Director, uh, Best Debut Feature for Scott. And it almost won the Palme d'Or, um, the, the best film at the Cannes, um, but it was only nominated. It won a David uh, D. Donatello Award for Best Foreign Director. And it was nominated for two 1979 BAFTAs, including uh, Best Cinematography and Best Costume Design. Um, I can definitely get behind those yeah yeah exactly and apparently uh scott even had to harkening back to the budget issues um scott had to pay for some of the pre-production expenses from his own pocket and later being reimbursed when the film was made um right. so it's a real you know real sort of i wonder of if the nine hundred thousand figure was actual filming budget and then the the rest on top the the extra six hundred thousand was kind of like um post-production and advertising and stuff like that yeah it could have been it could have been um it's uh, i think the afi film uh catalog said 1.5 million um Mm. and uh, wikipedia said 900,000 and i tend to believe 
AFI catalogue, if I'm honest, because um, it cites its sources. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, cinematography for this one was by Frank Tidy. He worked on April Morning as a director of photography. No, Matt likes that one. Um, the package with Gene Hackman, which sounds incredible. Gene Hackman having to go and nab um, Tommy um, Tommy Lee Jones um, in Cold War Berlin. Ooh, sounds Ooh. good, doesn't it? Yeah. Ex CIA, and he gets brought in to capture capture um, Lee Jones. Oh, Lee Jones, that sounds amazing. It sounds great. Uh, 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 tidy all, all no, sorry. Tidy also worked on Hitler's daughter. Um, Stop or my mum will shoot. And under siege. <laughs> so what a what a great little uh, siege there. Mm. So the film's look was heavily inspired by Stanley Kubrick's Barry Lyndon, um, and it invokes the paintings of the time. You get these lovely little static shots that will zoom back out, and it could feel like it's a you know a, a, a contemporary painting. It's it's beautifully shot. Yeah, of course, because uh, a lot of the cinematography and, and set design for for Kubrick's movie was influenced by contemporary paintings of the yeah. 18th century. So I can definitely see where he's, where Scott's gone for that exact same um, element with the 19th century because right at the very end of the film, we've got to mention it now because we're talking about it, but right at the end of the film, there's a shot of Kaitel over the shoulder where he's looking out over a valley, um, which is a beautiful landscape shot. And that is so heavily influenced by all those paintings of mid-19th century paintings mm. of, of Napoleon wistfully on the Isle of Elba. That's great. Um, just it's just like it evokes so much like i'm sure we'll talk about the ending again but like you just kite i mean spoiler alert <laughs> kaitel is just dejected like yeah living for him is worse than death and caradine knows it and i love that that that's his punishment i love that yeah, you gotta I, live you gotta live in the, a world you hate you know absolutely country, you know it's just perfect looking over that river as the as the sun breaks through the clouds um yeah. It's it's just a beautiful shot. Yeah, reminds me of that shot in the Gathering Storm actually, where Finney's looking out over over England, a little bit like that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. just just evokes it a little bit there. Um, and the music uh, for the Julius was composed by English composer Howard Blake, who also worked on the soundtracks of The Snowman and Flash Gordon. Um, so some great talent. And the mu- music's interesting. It's um, it does a lot of mood setting. Um, there's not a lot of music, but when it's there, it's very much the scene needs it so if it's a happy thing it's a happy if it's sad it's sad you know it it's a real um a real mood evoker i think the soundtrack to want mm. a better phrase um yeah. and I, it, this is a great fact matt and um, i didn't know this until matt told me because i was on he knew i was on production this week and i was jumping i was like oh my god this is amazing so yeah. The film's uh, historical advisor was the late, great Richard Holmes, um, most loved here at Fof HQ for his groundbreaking Indeed. series, War Walks, from the mid-90s. And I'm sure all the fans of the show uh, absolutely love Richard Holmes' work. And to know that he was involved in this um, was just amazing. I can just... And it seems yeah. to have been his only motion picture um, advisory role. I mean, yeah, what a... Advisory role. He does one and knocks it out of the park, you know. <laughs> I expect yeah. nothing less from Holmes. Yeah, no, it's. Yeah. I I've no idea what kind of involvement he had, but he is listed on there, and got to be said that the the um the film doesn't get too much wrong, really, no, in terms doesn't. of you know well, that's Holmes for you, you know vibe and mise en scène and stuff, but really no, interesting. It's great, 
I said to Matt, I like to think he's on set somewhere talking to someone who like worked in TV or film going, well, I've got this idea for a series. I, I want to walk around and I want to talk about wars. I just can't think of a name. <laughs> <laughs> just like to think that happened. Um, and the fight uh, choreography was done by master swordsman William, Ho- William Hobbs, um, who worked on HMS Defiant, Three Musketeers, Flash Gordon, King Lear, Rob Roy, Game of Thrones. And he also features in the movie as a swordsman and the uh, sword scenes themselves. Um, one of the dueling scenes, um, which is uh, later on, I'll talk about it, is my favourite scene. But in the third duel in the in the sunken um, basement, uh, there is a uh, chicken wire on the wall that's electrified to give sparks. And apparently yeah. Keitel reported being shocked on set when it went off. Um, it's lovely and safe. <laughs> um, that just nods to that ad hoc you know small budget production yeah it really really it? really does improvising it? that kind of effect just to mm. to create because that seems really really claustrophobic and really brutal and i'll we'll not talk any more about it because it's your favorite no scene. no no it's fine but Which, it's just you know fantastic it, it is really, a really is. good one Filmed on location in the Dordogne region of France uh, with the Cairgorms of Scotland uh, filling in for the Russian front. And the final duel was filmed at the Chateau de Comarque in the Dordogne. I read that none of it was shot in studio and it was all shot on location. don't think it was. Nothing was no. built for it. No, I don't think it was. I think that's maybe the, another budgetary restraint. You don't have the funds available to shoot on a soundstage. Doesn't that make it better for it? Like, it really does. Yes. Yeah. a number of scenes, like when they're in the cafe, and there's people outside milling around, and yep. um, one of uh, Faroe's seconds walks down the street, uh, and the the tables littered with whatever lunch they've just eaten. They're mm-hmm. chatting away. Just it's got a dinge really, to it, and it's yes, it does, and it's yeah, really nicely lit, really beautifully framed. There's a load of shots in all of the, the vignettes that, that mm. are just like that. Really nicely framed, great depth of field. Oh, it's beautiful. Like it's, I think it's one of Scott's most beautifully shot films. I, I really do think it's possibly one of his, one of his best. Possibly is his best for me. Um, having watched it in terms of I mean, everything coming together, to me too. Yeah. Mm, yeah, yeah. We'll talk it about does, more at the end. Does come together really well. It really does. Um, and so we have a retro review for you this week from David Hughes of Empire Magazine from January two thousand, ahead of the DVD release. Remember those. Oh, they were good, weren't they? Um, <laughs> uh, and he says, heavily influenced by Kubrick's Barry Lyndon, the film is loosely inspired by Joseph Conrad's short story, The Jewel. Keith Carradine and Harvey Keitel are officers in Napoleon's army who confront each other in a series of increasingly violent duels, which begin with a minor incident, but escalate over the course of 30 years into an all-consuming passion that rules and ultimately ruins the lives of both men. I think it was 15 years, Mr. Yeah, I don't think it was quite Mr. 30. Think perhaps he was getting confused with the actual two gentlemen that it was... Uh you know, based on and there's 30 jewels. Perhaps perhaps he'd done his research, but maybe. You know, maybe. Um mistaken. the story anyway. Uh, in an all-consuming passion that rules and ultimately ruins the lives of both men. The story sounds flimsy, but the richness of Scott's visuals and the excellent performances of Finney, Edward Fox, Tom Conti, and Roger Steven, Robert Stevens are among the supporting cast, and depth of the themes, masculine pride, and obsession masquerading as honor combined to make the movie a masterpiece. Pretty good, yeah. Snappy, it's good. That's what I like. Empire Magazine. That's, that's on they, the money. They wrote them in podcast format. They just didn't know. That's why I like <laughs> they, wrote them for, they wrote them for you to read. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
So uh, we have the one word review again, and we had 97 responses, a bunch of retweets, nearly 250 likes. Thanks, guys. We absolutely love the engagement. We love hearing what you think about the movies way before me and Matt um, sit down to record. It's always lovely to see. So in no particular order, Brian Williams goes with Hussars. Um, Adam Christian says Apology. AD Bond says Sharp. Uh, Alex Patterson goes with and it's long, but I like it. The scene where you see a girl herding geese down the road through the window. I fully believe I'm looking at a real moment. Um, Kenton White goes with the best film ever made. I've been writing about a French officer. Um, I've been writing about the French officer one of the characters was based on. would love to know more, Kenton. Um, yeah. Aaron Matter goes with Outstanding. Marcus Cribb goes with Swashbuckling. Ian McKellen, Sabres. Alan Taylor, Awesome. Uh, Tom Fox goes pistols uh we have martin collins tight pants and we'll end with tony wilshire who goes with sublime i did see a couple of people that mentioned overblown as well and i think we might talk oh, about that there? later on what's that let me yeah, scroll I... through let me find the the naysayers no, i'm joking <laughs> <laughs> yeah but i think generally speaking it was it's well regarded and and people enjoy the film but i can also see where you might criticize it for being a little bit overblown. Um, if you aren't someone that can sit through. Keith Carradine getting bullied for an hour and four. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if you, if you, if you aren't really interested in the concept of honor and, and the weird masculine attachments that that comes with, yeah. then it if definitely the pom- would not be the film for you. If the pomp and circumstance is too much for you, I can definitely see why you wouldn't enjoy it. But yeah. but that's why I like it because I like I just think it's mad that these guys, Carradine's essentially like come with me and um, Kaitel's like no I want to fight you it's like that's the whole movie like I love I do sometimes love a plot that basic oh no totally to the, the moral of the story is a don't shoot the messenger and b never volunteer for anything true that's that's it isn't it yeah. it's like don't volunteer don't shoot the messenger. Yeah, and both men are guilty of either one. It's great. (laughs) I love that. So maybe moving on to the alley tally this week. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. It's time for Ali Tally on Fighting on Film. It's a film that's premised around single combat and honor. So arguably, we haven't actually covered a film 
that is so chivalry in swords. You maybe see scenes with firearms in it twice, I think. Like the Russian yes, sequences. Uh, the Russian sequence, um, and then the, the duel at the end, I think, are the only two. Um, yeah. But it's it's great. So the film starts off with uh, a short sword duel um, where the mayor of Strasbourg's uh, nephew or son gets run through by Kaitel. It's brutal. Um, like, I was like, Jesus, he kebabbed him. I was like, oh my really God. He really did, yeah. It's it's a that's a really interesting fight, and I'll probably talk about that in favorite scenes in a moment. Um, but then the film transitions. So the first duel between Dubert and Faro is with sabers, and it's very ad hoc. It's in a yard. Um, then they have a a rematch, which is you know short swords. Um, and then there's a, a mounted duel. There's a duel in the barn. There's a there's um they're they about to do... joust with swords, don't they? They do. And you know, it's a tribute to the cavalry. And then there's um there's that sequence where they're about to have a, a pistol duel on the steps of Russia, um, but the Cossacks intervene and that gets you know, postponed for about four years, five years. Yeah. Um, and then they they have a really interesting uh, it's not the not the classic two chaps at 20 paces from each other firing pistols it's in open country and they kind of move around a you know an abandoned chateau it's like a vietnam war style like cat and mouse don't they they do there's a there's a great little shot where uh dubert walks in front of the in the camera in the foreground and right in the background like um yeah. like Kaitel's character Faro kind of skips across a, a is it a bad that in that bridge. in that sequence i can just see like an ad or someone behind the shot yeah. going now, turn now. <laughs> yeah. And then Caradine like turns and looks like, oh, I've missed him. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah, it's great. I love that scene. That it's really tense, and it isn't. It feels way longer than it is. Um, yeah, that's that very true. It's very tense. The film do does like a it. really great job throughout of building that tension. I think, mm. especially and during the the mounted sequence. Yeah, and and you're still not sure who's going to win. Because it's mm. not like and like one thing I did enjoy about the movie. I also haven't read the original story um but i like how as a viewer Carradine kind of wins then kaitel kind of wins but it's not winning yeah. it's just getting away with the duel it's not winning mm. so mm. you do build to quite attention you, you you don't know you know obviously as a viewer we know who we're meant to be rooting for we're meant to be rooting for Carradine because he's got way more skill in the game as a character but you don't you don't necessarily think but he it, will. It, it undermines that trope of setting up a character with so much to lose new wife new family um you, you think oh god hubert's gonna get it um yeah but it kind of switches back and it's a really interesting ending which we'll talk about in a moment yeah. but just to no. get back to the alley tally of so course. interestingly all of the swords used in the film the, the sabers as i should say are pattern eight, uh 1796 like cavalry sabers which is actually that's a, a british pattern of, of like okay. cavalry saber rather than french so the french will be using um i think it's year nine like cavalry right. sabers which have got more of a um i think it's a three bar hilt that's bronze Mon Dieu. Whereas, the, whereas the 1796 has a, a single steel um bogard okay. kind of and it is literally the classic saber because it yeah. became very popular during the Napoleonic period and i think a number of um european countries adopted it during that mm. same period um because it's it's a really um 
flexible light blade it, for, for what it is. It can also chop a little bit. It's a very good slasher. Um, if you if you're very skilled, you can get, use the point, which is a definitely handy thing for using it as a, as a cavalry weapon. But I suppose also Jeffing people up. You want to for say. being a duelist is, is <laughs> yeah. helpful. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's there's some interesting stuff going on with um, some of the the during this during this the the short sword sequence, Caridine has a weird black glove on. I don't know whether you noticed that. I noticed Kaitel pirate esque bandana. Oh yeah, yeah, that's cool. With the, with the um the cadenets braids and stuff. Yeah, like. love it, love it. I'm going to talk about those braids in a minute. Actually, that's my only pick. Um, is it really? That's weirdly. Cool. It'll make sense in a minute. So, as I was going to say, there's there's that unusual like black glove in, in where Caridine's character kind of they they offer up to each other, and he has this glove on, but you don't really know why he's got that on because you never really see that in any other like, mm. any of the manuscripts on fencing and that kind of thing. So that must have been just something that. That Hobbs decided to throw in as a perhaps, perhaps yeah. to differentiate the two characters from each other. Well, apparently there um, was a bit of ad libbing during those sequences um, because apparently mm. Kaitel had missed his mark, um, or, or or and Scott sort of Scott accused him of over milking things sometimes to get a reaction. Um, right. So apparently some some bits in those sequences aren't hundred percent choreographed. So interesting. I mean, I yeah. I always thought that during that. Short sword duel. Caridine's sneeze is really funny. Yeah, he like halts the the duel before it even begins, just to to sneeze. It characterizes him. Well, I like it. It does. It's great. It does. Yeah, he's supposed to be the foppish dandy, whereas Kaitel's more of a you know a brute, like a rugged, a, yeah, career, rugged brute. career soldier, rugged guy. Yeah, yeah, very much ascribed to the Republic and and Bonapartism. Whereas, without a doubt, yeah, he's a Bonaparte enjoyer. He is. Whereas I think Caridine's character is just more go with the flow because of that great sequence later on where they're at, like, at his wedding dinner and the, the uncle says, you, you're come now, you're a royalist now. Yeah. Um, and he's even then he's reluctant to to really go in on Bonaparte because he he knows that these things can flip and change so quickly. Yeah, he just wants to get on with his have. life. Yeah. He does, yeah. So that's, um, I think that actually, sorry, go on, if you got more. Go on, carry on. No, it's fine. So I, I actually think that really transitioned into my alley pick perfectly talking about the the characterization there so as i said in the production the the costume design um was awarded uh nominated for a bafta so it was by uh bafta winning costume designer tom rand um yeah. and you know his work on the uh costuming is is top notch you know it's it's very of a period I, mean, I obviously i'm not i'm not an expert in Napoleonic clothing um you know i don't have loads of books on them like i do the vietnam war um, but um i've got a lovely little cut quote here from rand he said we decided to choose the most contrasting colors of two different regiments the first to illustrate the cool arist aristocratic character of one man armand and the second to show the hot-blooded temperament of the other for Ord. nice because well, so we went with the the, the yeah. red the the blue and red for the um, yeah. the seventh hazards for for o, and then the grey cool colours yeah the um the third hazards yeah that's really I like that's it clever because in the I'm, I'm actually I want to stop talking about the third the third jewel because 
I'll forget. I won't have nothing to say about my favourite scene. I'll come back to that. <laughs> but I, this is another thing I really like. So I like how the hairstyles and costumes subtly change with the time. So later in the movie, it says, and time moved on and so did military fashions. Mm-hmm. Um, and Farouk keeps his Napoleon-esque look. He's got those braids. He's got his little Napoleonic sort of tash going on. Um, mm-hmm. And Farouk lets his hair down, trims his tash down a little bit. And I saw it as Armand's a progressive who wants to move of the times, wants to have his life. He sees a future. But yeah. Farouk is this closed, once Napoleon, once like, napoleon empire forever and 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 wants that to be his life like that's what he's Mm -hmm. put in his lot with that and he doesn't change and he's unwilling to change um it's like he's everything that his adversary isn't and vice versa i kind of i just like that real and it's not subtle because it's so obvious on the screen but i really really like that and i think it's one of the few instances where something like that actually does help the film it really helps these characters Mm. um because we don't see a lot of Kaitel's personal life. We, we barely see anything of him at all, really, apart from when he's sort of fighting and you get a few scenes of him having a drink and and when he has that argument with um, Armand about Napoleon, Napoleon having like enemies and things like that. Like That's all yeah. you get of him. And I just really love that. Like it was... Well, they're, they're polar opposites, aren't they? And the only it. thing that really yeah. links them is... They're the original shared, odd couple. Is, is a shared concept of... Uh, of honour and chivalry. Exactly, yeah. And that's the only thing they've got going for them, is that they both adhere to this system of dueling and feuding. And I, I just think it's so great. It's It definitely makes for a fascinating dynamic. Um, before we get off the Alitalia, like, the only other thing I, I, I've got for this week, because although it's set in the Napoleonic period, we don't see a great deal of the no, Napoleonic we period. We've already talked about the uniforms being... The Russian I, I think, front bit is the only bit that feels Napoleonic. Indeed, boring. that's the only time you actually see them on campaign, um, and and in that you you get you know a few cannons are being kind of pushed along the the road and yeah, everyone's frozen and covered in frost. It's brown best muskets, I think. They they are. Have. I was about to mention those, so they they should really be Charleville mm-hmm. um, French muskets, but because it was filmed in England, they probably England Scotland. They probably only, you know, had had brown besses available. Yeah, probably from like a local we'll museum or that. something that they've rented. And to be honest, yeah, yeah, who knows, Baptist or something like that. But you know, they're covered in frost anyway, so you can't. Yeah, really it's tell. fine. You know, it's, um, nothing, nothing about this movie is inherently wrong that I can see. You know, no, no. Again, the mise en scène for the film is very, very much on point. It mm. really is. That that really? Russian sequence actually is is one of my favourites. So. Maybe we should move on to uh, favourite scenes and chat. Yeah, about let's that. hop into favourite scenes. Hello, I'm Al Murray, and you're listening to Fighting on Film, the world's number one war film podcast. So I'll go first because Matt's been talking about the whole bloody pod. I've been a bit, a bit Michael Caine there. The whole bloody pod. <laughs> now he's Australian. Okay. And you're only meant to talk about the favourite scenes, Matthew, in the favourite scene section. That was shocking. Sorry, sorry. Well, that's, like, that's quite possibly your worst cane yet. <laughs> they get progressively worse. I love it. So, my favourite scene is that third duel. So, as we mentioned, mm. Scott is Scott is shooting it on a handheld camera in this vaulted barn, this sunken yeah. barn basement, and they only have forty five minutes of light left on the shoot. And because of the money constraints and everything else going on, he has to get it. So they go for it, 
And essentially mm. what you see is that handheld sequence. I don't, He's I don't like, think hook any... up the batteries on the chicken wire. We <laughs> need to shoot this. Get that fucking chicken wire going. <laughs> Shock <laughs> Harvey again. We need to get it done. Um, and I love it because it's just so visceral. You feel every hit of those sabers, mm. every thud, every punch, every like bit of, feel like you feel spittle coming out of their mouth. Like when they're... Yeah goading each other it's so good the bit where he flays off a bit of armand's back as well is really yeah. oh it's oh the, the 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 gore in this is just so well done it it's you know like in horror films where you've you know you see someone's head get blown up someone get like you yeah. know stabbed and it's really like yeah, over like the a, top a bucket bucket of like corn exactly syrup. like this it, you know it's something feels painful to look at yeah like it's like when when um he gets chipped in the the the, the horse bit is that and, um, a technical term? <laughs> chibbed, yeah. Chibbed. <laughs> Sorry. When he gets sliced, <laughs> what don't we say? Like, yeah, I've never I've never stabbed someone. There you go, stabbed. Um, when he gets stabbed in the head, can I tell? Like that bleed. Yeah. Like it just looks so painful. There's something about mm. it. Um, I think that's another thing the movie does so so well. Well, all of the wounds, like throughout the film, you do feel them. That that initial one where um Kaitel is his sword arm is um, cut by um, mm. Uber Duber's uh, saber in in that again that first duel between the two of them where is shot over the shoulder. Yeah, it, Ridley Scott apparently took the camera himself because he was used to doing that on commercial work, mm. um, and was moving around and and getting all these great shots and it feels very claustrophobic, very um, dynamic, and it works so yeah. well and it's exactly the same sort of thing in that, that um, and that's why i love it it's so visceral it's up close and personal i've got it down here is it feels like half sword fight half pub car park brawl like yeah. it just it just goes into sort of it, it, have you it ever evolves. seen rob roy no i haven't no. so i mean obviously hobbs did the, the choreography the sword mm. choreography for that as well and there's a final duel uh in that i won't give you any spoilers rob because you know i think you'd actually quite like that film Probably will. Um, where they they're fighting, and it feels very similar in that it's okay, very very brutal, mm, um, no, and it's just... also in a conf- com- confined space of a hall rather than a barn, but okay. it's very similarly shot. I might have seen that duel. Am I thinking of the duel in Die Another Day? <laughs> it might be maybe. That. <laughs> <Don't> <laughs> know. Was Liam Neeson in that <laughs> well, scene? No, he wasn't. No, no. <laughs> yeah, probably Die Another Day. No. It was Maggie Smith's daughter, the son. Wasn't he in that one, Maggie Smith's son? Yes, he was, yeah. yeah. That's it. Is, yeah. yeah, anyway, quite quick, claw the podcast back. Um, but, you know, again, in that scene, the lighting, the setting, it's just beautiful. Like, you've got onlookers, which I really like, people sort yeah. of goading for the blood. The little boys in the window. Really watching, great. Going, mm. at, have, have they killed each other? Because yeah. they kind of collapse at the end, don't they? Yeah, the sun rays through the people as well. Like it's yeah. just it's so great. Like, you know, in the in the sort of ranking of duels in the movie, I'm not I'm not gonna do it because it's unfair, but like that third duel I really felt then I was like, right, there's probably no going back. YouTube videos ranking duels probably already. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Guaranteed. Like I today's my top duels from the nineteen seventy seven film, The Duelist. You know, you can imagine <laughs> it. Today's sponsors Raid Shadow Legends. Um <laughs> Nord, you, like, VPN. you might get that yeah. joke. Uh, but it's it's it. As I say, it's when I felt that it was the point of no return because mm. I felt the first one was a sort of, it felt like Kaitel was lashing out at him with his sword. It didn't really feel like a real duel. The second one, 
okay, like it was a bit more to do and Kaitel uh, nicked um, nicked Carradine. But then that that third one, it's just, I'm like, right, now they want blood. Mm. And obviously Carradine goes from wanting blood to not. But I feel like in that, that's like the high point of it, perhaps. Mm. And then the rest of it just feels like because of this honour, because of our demand satisfaction, you have to keep doing it. Exactly. And mm. I think with the their first duel, Duba is just shocked that he's having to fight this idiot yeah, that like, wants to fight. Yeah, what the hell are you doing? He's yeah. literally just, I've come to give you some bad news. Like, that's all I'm here for. <laughs> I he's like accidentally he insulted like, the emperor. You know? Demand satisfaction. Um, he's like, what? You what, mate? Like, yeah, he's doing his best do to what? try and get out of there. Yeah. Um, so much slow. So, like, I think Kaitel like slams the door in his mistress's face at one point. That's it. Um, yeah. But it's. I love how the jewels steadily grow, and you go from the absurdity of the first one to the 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 growing tension of the second jewel, where they're with short swords, and mm. it's completely different to a saber fight because a short sword is very light. It's very nimble. Yeah. Um, if you've ever watched like epee fencing on the olympics then that is the closest yeah. to short sword fighting that's what epee evolved from and it it's kind of like they do things which very much lean into the fact that they they're they're cavalrymen they're soldiers so that they're, they're swiping there's a little, there's bits of swiping where with with the short sword that that's probably not a good idea because if you if you're very, they're very nimble blades. You can get underneath someone's guard, and that's what happens to, to Dubert. At like, Kaitel goes into a very low lunge and like pierces him through the, um, mm. the chest, and he almost doesn't realize until there's a very, it's a very quick. You can easily miss it. Like he kind of like he comes back up into the guard and he looks at the end of his blade and you can see blood and he sees mm. he spots the blood and he realizes oh I've actually like made contact. Yeah, it's really it's subtle. Those those swords are like so sharp that. They'll pierce easily, and you don't even mm. notice. And then Dubert kind of like staggers backwards and 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 can't go on. And then with that third duel, they've been doing this for years, and the frustration and the the the, the desire for a, a conclusion to that is really palpable in that scene. Yeah. No, and I then the it. the horseback sequence, which is my favorite scene, finally getting getting around to one well, of my hey. favorite scenes, is. The tension of that is incredible because when you think about it, he is so reluctant to go into that because Alan um, Armstrong is kind of explained to him. It's, oh, well, it's for the, the, um, the it's, it's, it's a tribute to the cavalry that we're going to do this on horseback. Yeah. Um, Cause he's been off to, to talk to uh, Kaitel second and they've decided, oh, we're going to do it on horseback. And I love the little hints in the dialogue that suggest that, through all these jewels, these two men have gained this real reputation um, as as both duelists and soldiers and honourable men. And I, I, it's really interesting to see Caradine push back at the, the absurdity of having to fight this man over and over again over nothing. Yeah. Because it's not even a, a, an affair of, you know, it's not a matter of the heart, it's not a, a real affair of honour. No. It's just that... <laughs> You dissed Kaitel has, yeah, Kaitel has taken on this insult that was just a turn of phrase. Um, it's the you know the kind of dialogue that if you 
if you watch it for the first time, you, you wouldn't even think, oh, well, he's, he's just insulted Bonaparte there. Huh. Yeah. You wouldn't notice. But that becomes the whole crux of the, of the, of the, of the dueling. Um, but that's that duel on horseback, the tension that grows within Caridines on horseback, and it, there's those little flashbacks. And they're great. And they're almost, it's almost like PTSD in that. Yeah, I it's, felt that. It's Kaitel's character lunging and attacking him. And it kind of just builds and builds. And then there's that release of he manages to to chip him. Um, and then he leaps over. <laughs> he leaps yeah. over the the the, uh, the hay wagon. Um, you know, shouting for joy because he's he's won the duel, and that should yeah. be it. Yeah, but it is. It never is. No, he's, Kaitel is insatiable. It's the duel, um, the whole bloody duel. Duel to um, bring in a cruel sea reference there. <laughs> And then we've already mentioned it, but I really do like the uh, the, the you know the, the scenes in Russia, and oh, I think great. that gives us the most broad view of the period that we get mm. because a lot of the sequences are in um, either a salon or a cafe, or they're in like horse lines, a camp, or they're in a tent. Mm. Um, and then it, the jewels really are always the in. Film breathe in a weird way. It does. Sort of, it does. Yeah. Uh, or they're in a courtyard where the fights often take place, or in a, yeah. You know, field where there's nothing really in the distance it's a beautiful landscape but there's nothing really there that tells you that this is set in the 1800s yeah, but you get to that the, it, there's a war going on guys like it, that's yeah. what it sort of you, does for you, you finally get to that that sequence in, in in russia and there's the the mise-en-scene is on point again it just feels cold frozen men despondency cossacks baying at you know the edges of them yeah um and the you know the pinnacle of that is Kaitel shouts for volunteers to go and push the, the Cossacks out of the wood. And as you would imagine, no one's up for that. Nah. Um, and so Caridine goes along, probably hoping to, to end this once and for all. Um, and instead of a, a, a duel, they, they sort of end up fighting off a Cossack patrol, which yeah. works really well. And that's, that scene ends with a, 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 another almost Kubrick-esque shot of the frozen uh hussar officer it's great it's so it, good it's, it's very shining where it's just mm. this chap that's frozen sat there and it just pans back and forth between um makes me think what Hubert scott's and, and the, gonna do with this mega corpse. budget napoleon film i, I we'll talk about this in, it's late you know, stage later on i know but yeah <laughs> it is i think really the constraint of the budget really helped this film because i love the way the vignettes work I really do yeah. think that the vignettes of each duel, you know, that shows progression of time and and their their position as as people and the way they feel about the whole um, process of this, because Perot is just despondent at times of having to do this. Sorry, Dubert is despondent of having to fight Perot, and Perot is increasingly like desperate to to it just drives him as as a person. Mm. Every every possible opportunity, he wants to to fight Dubert. Even even when Napoleon's deposed, he still wants yeah. still wants to smoke. He, he can't let it go. I just I I I love it. I I want to know more about Kaitel. I'm just like, why why is this so important to you? Is it because everything you cared about is gone? And this is the only this is like the remnant of that. This is like the yeah, last it seems thing to be the, the only thing that really drives him. Yeah. It's really great. So maybe we should go in the final thoughts. I think so. Brilliant. Um, I'll, I'll kick off. So I, it's a brooding 
well shot, very well paced film. I, I know I'm I'm a little bit annoyed I hadn't seen it before because I, I would have I, I enjoyed this a couple of nights ago when I watched it. I'll enjoy it again. Um, and we talk a lot on the show about having your film set in a historical period and telling a story. You're either telling a true story or you're telling a, a narrative, you're only telling a made up story. And I think this is one of the benchmarks when it comes from to setting your film in a historical period, but making a fictional story work. You know, it, it really does feel like it's in the background of the Napoleonic Wars. Um, yeah. I feel like Sharp could turn up at any moment's notice. Like it's like that. It's just it just feels so true. It feels so captures like, it, doesn't it? Died in the wall. Yeah, it really captures something. I really think it's it's just a bit of a triumph. I think. I agree. I. I... I've got to go back to that, the way that Thoreau becomes so obsessed and mm. Dubert, you know, were dueling as a compliment to the cavalry. And he actually says, I'm not fanatical enough to persevere with this absurdity, yeah. which kind of sums up the, the, the process that these two men go through. It's honor before reason, really. Yeah, of course. Um, the film's well paced. There's great performances by the leads. I really like some of the dialogue. I think um there's there's a couple of scenes that really like no, this film doesn't pander to you and it doesn't try and tell you what the napoleonic wars are about it's very much no. films set against them um there's yeah. just enough for you to understand the you know the insult and the reason why and also some of the, the historical changes and the societal changes which see uh Dubert's life move into you know um marrying into a and uh, aristocracy and you know becoming a general and they're both generals towards the end and it's interesting to see the parallels of these careers it would have been i agree it would have been interesting to see a little bit more of Keitel mm. um to see his sort of t- trajectory but again it's that constraining budget and to be honest i love that the budget constrained it into a series of vignettes which takes you across you know, yeah, all I do. Of europe i um, do i would have hated this to be a sprawling epic because I think it would yeah. have just taken so much away from it. Oh, I, um, I completely agree. And and this is it, where my sort of but it it conveys all of Napoleon's like great campaigns in a yeah. in a way without you ever seeing a battle. But it does give you that feel and atmosphere. No, it really does. Um, but I think this is where my sort of criticism of Scott comes in. So I'm not the biggest Scott fan. So I I enjoy his early work. Um, mm. I like Aliens. I like Blade Runner. And I think this has elements in it that he carried on to alien carried on to blade runner the sort of the claustrophobic feel everything feels so small um mm. so like you know in, in blade runner for, for instance you know you have this massive sprawling cyberpunk s city but when you're on the ground it feels so small and condensed um this movie has it too um yeah. you, you get the feeling of it's huge on the outside but you're seeing this tiny little window and mm. i really enjoy that i don't really enjoy his movies as much as I used to because I think they just do too much. I kind of am worried a little bit about this Napoleon movie because I'm like, it's three and a bit hours long. Yeah. I'm like, are we gonna feel that same that same sort of oh, I want to say claustrophobia, but it's the wrong word. Like what are we gonna have a duelist type thing? Or are we gonna have a overblown biopic? And no, I think it, it, it's it's going to definitely be on the side of epic in yes. in the vein of you know gladiator and um, kingdom of heaven and that kind of thing it's going to be it big it's going to be um there's going to be a lot of spectacle to it i hope really it, it's the detail 
that I'm most concerned about with Napoleon. I and we're going to debate that age-old um, discussion of can you nitpick with with historical accuracy and those kind of things. Yeah. Well, famously is, is, today, hasn't it? Scott's come out and said, "Yeah, well, what was it? I don't care or something or get stuffed or whatever." What was it? He, he said quote? something of it. He he said that people picking a film apart. I think he was responding actually directly to something that Dan Snow said in a video oh, okay. um, about the trailer. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see it, and it's going to be interesting to see where that where napoleon sits within our typical criteria of is it a good film can we yes. forgive historical accuracy issues yeah. are the historical accuracy issues actually there are they something mm. that we should be worried about because that's they what definitely this film... don't appear to be in the duelist no that's what this film does it, it could it could be you know they could be wearing hoodies for all i care but the movie is very good the story is compelling enough mm. um so much so that when I was watching it, I was texting Matt at the time, and I said, "You could remake this with football hooligans, like, and it'd you could, have the you same." You could put the story in, into another context, certainly. Yeah, yeah exactly. That... You know, the, the fight, the honor, the sort of there's lots of themes there that are still quite relevant today. I think you could definitely have something else with this story. But as I say, you know, it's a masterclass in using your budget. It's a masterclass in getting a lot of good performances out of your actors. It's just really compelling. Like, I think that's the word for me. It was very compelling. I wanted to know what happened to these people. I was really excited to get to the end. I never felt like it lulled. No, pacing's great. That's quite rare for a movie with me. Yeah, the pacing's perfect. And as I say, like, what a a great whistle-wetter for Napoleon later on in the month. Absolutely. And I hope everyone listening will join us towards the end of November uh, for our episode taking stock and, I think we're and discussing it a week after release aren't we because we're i think so i think i think it's going to be the uh episode of the 29th of november that's it yeah so matt anything more before we do the outro nope no well that was 1977's the duelist i hope you enjoyed our musings on it there um it's you know it's out there on dvd it's out there to find um hope you go and enjoy it if you're seeing it etc et yeah it's on prime video to rent yeah do join us again for more for more war movie reviews and as always you can catch up with the entirety of the back catalogue on fightingonfilm.com and we'll catch you again next week thanks for listening everyone bye 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 i demand satisfaction Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.